got to say, I'm a little more energized today. I'm used to doing, you know, three services, and by now I've preached two or th- two times, once, twice, depending on if Greg preached or not, and I'm getting a little tired by 11 o'clock, and I'm having to work to keep up the energy, but this morning, I'm ready to go. I got to spend an hour this morning watching my favorite TV pastor, David Jeremiah, Anybody watch David Jeremiah? That guy's good. I mean, good, not just he preaches well, but good in he, he gives good, insightful thoughts to the Scripture. And I almost threw this out and said, heck, I'm preaching that. That's, that's, that's better than what I got. 
but uh, that's not what God was leading me to do. So, but I did enjoy having a rather relaxing Sunday morning to watch his show, and uh, it got me ready to go. So, I want to talk to you about choices. You know, every day we make choices. You made a choice this morning. You got up, you looked out the window, and I'm sure the thought crossed your mind, I could stay home today. <laughs> Nobody's going to blame me if I don't go to church today. Uh, apparently many people <laughs> made that choice. But you chose different. You said the most important thing you could do this morning is be here. And so you're here. I know you didn't come for the donuts because we didn't have any. So... You must have come to worship. Some choices we make are of little consequence. You know, what am I going to eat for lunch? Uh, or what television program am I going to watch? Other choices are life-altering. You know, relation, who am I going to be in relationship with? Um, what career opportunity am I going to pursue? Some choices cause us to pick sides, political choices, or even religious choices. We make them all the time. But there is no choice you will ever make that's more important than the choice to believe in and follow the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, recently we've had a couple children, my, my granddaughter and Case Powell, come and confess Christ. And both of them, I told them the same thing. I said, at your young age, you have made the most important choice you'll ever make for your entire life. And that's to say yes to Jesus. And I want to look at that choice in the context of an Old Testament story. Way back in the book of Numbers. Now, I want to give you a little bit of uh, context before I get to the Scripture itself. The people of Israel had been slaves in Egypt for 400 years, and they had prayed fervently for God to release them from this bondage, to send a deliverance. And God heard that prayer, and in the person of Moses, uh, and by his mighty hand bringing all the plagues upon Egypt, he delivered them. From bondage. They traveled to what they called the promised land, the land that God had told their forefather Abraham would be theirs, that they were to take possession of. But it's there that a fateful choice had to be made, and that's where the scripture picks up. The Lord said to Moses, send some men to explore the land of Canaan, which I am giving to the Israelites. From each ancestral tribe, send one of the leaders. And when Moses sent them to explore Canaan, he said, go up through the Negev and on into the hill country. See what the land is like and whether the people who live there are strong or weak, few or many. What kind of land do they live in? Is it good or bad? What kind of towns do they live in? Are they unwalled or fortified? How's the soil? Is it fertile or poor? Are there trees on it or not? Do your best to bring back some of the fruit of the land. It was the season for first ripe grapes. 
They came back to Moses and Aaron and the whole Israelite community at Kadesh in the desert of Paran. There they reported to them and to the whole assembly and showed them the fruit of the land. They gave Moses this account. We went into the land to which you sent us, and it does flow with milk and honey. Here is the fruit. But the people who live there are powerful, and the cities are fortified and very large. We even saw descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites live in the Negev, the Hittites, the Jebusites, and Amorites live in the hill country, and the Canaanites live near the sea and along the Jordan. Let me pause there a minute. So God commands Moses, send 12 people, one from each tribe, to check out the land. I think that sounds pretty reasonable, doesn't it? If you were about to go in and possess a land, you might want to have some idea what it's like and what is the best way to go in and take possession of it. It's not like buying a home and you're handed the keys and say, now you take possession of your house. They were going to have to fight for this land. You know, all the people who lived there weren't suddenly going to say, oh, this belongs to you? Well, we'll pack up and leave next week. No, they're going to fight for their land, and so the people of Israel had to conquer them if they were going to take possession of it. So God said, go in and check it out. And when they did, they all came back with the same report. They had a unanimous report. Number one, the land is flowing with milk and honey which is a symbolic way of saying, this land is really good. You know, so much of the land they had just come through was kind of desert, couldn't grow much. But this land was very fertile. This land was good. Second, the land was fruitful. It said they brought back a cluster of grapes so large that they slid a pole through it and two guys put it on their shoulder and carried it. Can you imagine that? Going to needlers and saying, I want some grapes. Well, you pull around back and we'll load it in your trunk. You know, here's your grapes. I mean, I can't imagine that. But it said the fruit was so lush and so bountiful. So land's flowing of milk and honey. Fruit is lush and bountiful. Yes and yes, the people are getting excited. Point three, the people who live there are mean and tough. <laughs> They're powerful people. There's even some descendants of Anak who were known to be, like, think Shaquille O'Neal plus. A bunch of really big dudes. Powerful people. Think Goliath and some of his relatives. He said the people are tough and powerful and the cities are well fortified. This is not going to be an easy fight they all agree on that now I'm going to pick it up here at verse uh, 30 then Caleb silenced the people before Moses and said we should go up and take possession of the land for we can certainly do it they are giving the faith perspective in spite of that last point, that the people are powerful and the, the cities are fortified, Caleb and Joshua, two of the 12 spies, say, no problem. Our God is greater. We should go do it. But the men who had gone up with them, this is verse 31, which means the other 10 
said, we can't attack those people. They are stronger than we are. And they spread among the Israelites a bad report about the land they had explored. They said, the land we explored devours those living in it. All the people we saw there are of great size. We saw the Nephilim there, the descendants of Anak, come from the Nephilim. And we seemed like grasshoppers in our own eyes. And we looked the same to them. Boy, how disturbing is that? Ten of the twelve spies that came out of the land of Canaan said, land is good, land is fruitful, but there is no way we can take it. So put yourself in the shoes of the people of Israel. Here are the people gathered. You've just heard the report about how great the land is, but how impossible it seems to take, and you are asked to choose. Do you choose the faith of Joshua and Caleb, or do you choose the doubt and fear of the other ten? Well, here's the result. All of the Israelites grumbled against Moses and Aaron. They said to each other, we should choose a leader and go back to Egypt. Wow. Not only did they not want to go attack and conquer the land of Canaan, they were willing to go back and be slaves again. So it'd be better to be a slave and alive then go fight this battle and die. The problem came in in the statement that they made to the people of Israel. It said, we seemed like grasshoppers in our own eyes. See, the problem was they were looking at themselves through their own lenses. <laughs> and they were seeing all of their weaknesses, all of their shortcoming, all their fears, all their failures and said, in light of what we know about ourselves, we can't win. I was remembering one of my favorite Rocky movies. Rocky has been defeated for the first time in his career since his first loss to Apollo Creed, his first loss as champion. Clubber Lang knocked him out and hurt him. And he needs to re have a rematch. He needs to reestablish himself. So they set another fight. But when he's training, he just doesn't have it anymore. He trains half-heartedly. You know, the, the thing about all the Rocky movies are the great scenes of training with that great music going on in the background, and he's doing all these unorthodox things. He's pounding on raw meat at the meat locker, and he's lifting all kinds of heavy stuff, and he's just preparing himself. This time, it's very half-hearted. He gives up easily. And one day when he was running along the beach, racing Apollo Creed, who's training him, he just gives up and quits. And Adrian, his wife, comes up and says, I've never seen this before. What's wrong? And he looks at her and he says, for the first time, I am 
afraid. I'm afraid. He'd always face challengers with this, if I go down, I'm going down swinging, but I'm fighting. And this time he just didn't have any fight in him. And he was afraid that he was going to get beat down again. And that's the attitude the people of Israel had. They said, after seeing this opponent, we, are, we look like grasshoppers to ourselves. We're afraid. We can't win. Now, the good news, I don't want to spoil it for anybody if you haven't seen it. But Rocky whoops him. He whoops him good. Yeah. And Joshua and Caleb said to the people of Israel, we can do the same. Because we shouldn't look at ourselves through our eyes. We should look at ourselves through the eyes of our God. It's not Israel against Canaan. It's Israel plus God against Canaan. And they can't beat it. You know, I could understand the people's lack of faith if they'd never experienced the power of their God before. I could, I could, I could accept it. But weren't these the same people that saw God destroy Egypt with the ten plagues so they could be delivered? Weren't these the same people that when the Egyptian army came after them, God sent down a supernatural pillar of fire to stop them so they couldn't attack his people? Weren't these the same people who walked through the Red Sea on dry land and then watched God destroy the Egyptian army by crashing the whole thing down on top of them? Weren't these the same people that were sustained in the wilderness by eating bread from the sky and drinking water from a rock? <laughs> How many times did God need to show up for them to understand who he is and how powerful he is and stop doubting him? But before we get too judgmental about them, I realized I got to think about me. How many times have I done the exact same thing? I know how good God is. I know how graceful God is. I know how loving and forgiving God is. I know how powerful God is. And yet, every time trouble rears its ugly head, and it seems more than I can bear. Oh, I don't know. I don't know if we can do it this time. I don't know if we're going to come out on the other side of this one. I become sometimes just like the people of Israel. I start to look at myself through myself rather than look at me through the eyes of my God. It seems like we have long memories when it comes to trouble. I know people who can recite every real problem they've had for the last 50 years. <laughs> and you may know some that not only know it, but are willing to tell you about it. <laughs> but 
when it comes to God's provision and God's protection and God's blessing and God's goodness, boy, we seem to have short memories. And we tend to think, well, what have you done for me lately? (laughs) I call it spiritual amnesia. One of Satan's great weapons to use against God's people is spiritual amnesia. That when trouble comes, suddenly, boy, I can't remember if God can get me through this or not. I don't know if I can believe that God can get me through this. We all need to hear again the words of Jesus. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. Rather than focus on how big our problems are, we need to focus on how great our God is. That's what Joshua and Caleb did. But unfortunately, there were 10 others who did not. And in the end, when the ballots were cast, the overwhelming vote was, go back to Egypt, rather than go forward in faith into Canaan. And God got so angry with them that he was going to wipe them out. I mean, you could see God up there in heaven getting the lightning bolt ready. You know that image we have and saying, get out of my way, Moses. I'm done with them. Their lack of faith, their lack of trust, after all I've done. But Moses stood in between God and the people. He basically said to God, if you're going to kill them, kill me. Because my life and their life are linked together as one. You sent me to lead these people. And my life is tied to theirs. So if you're no longer going to be with them, take me out too. And God decided that rather than destroy his people, he would let them wander in the wilderness for 40 years until that whole generation died off. Everyone that voted no to go into Canaan passed away during that 40-year period. And it left a new generation of Israelites, a new generation who heard the stories. And maybe as children, they had witnessed it. Could you imagine being about seven or eight years old and walking through the Red Sea going, wow! I love the animated version of of the story. Uh, because it shows like this humpback whale swimming in the wall of water. <laughs> you go by, I said, that, that, that was cool. I don't know if there are humpback whales in the Red Sea or not, but it doesn't matter. It still looked cool. But imagine being seven or eight years old, and you're walking through there. I mean, do you think you're going to remember that? Do you think that's going to be filed away in here somewhere? And when the time came, the next generation said, wait a minute. We remember what God did. And why won't he do it again? 
And so when the vote came up 40 years later, same vote, new leader, Joshua. Oh, Joshua. Wasn't he one of the two that said, let's do it the first time? You know, Joshua and Caleb survived the 40 year of wandering. And they were still there. And they brought it up again. Let's vote again. Canaan or no? And this time, overwhelmingly, they said, Canaan and our God will go with us. I pray that we can do the same. You know, every day we have to make choices about our lives. Choices to respond to trouble with doubt and fear or choices to trust in God. A choice to respond to people who treat us badly by treating them the same or to respond with love and grace and forgiveness to those who hurt us. To choose to make my life the most important thing in my life or to choose to live my life for others in service to others in the name of Christ. Every day we make those choices. And I pray that we will choose to follow God. We will choose faith. We will choose trust. We will choose hope. Let's pray. God, I thank you for sharing with us the story of your people. It's, it's not a good story at first because it doesn't end well. It ends with faithlessness. It ends with doubt and fear in their relationship with you. But I thank you, Father, that ultimately faith wins out over fear. And it will do that every time if we'll trust you. We don't have to see the way through, Father. We just have to know that you're the one leading us. We don't have to know the final outcome of the troubles we face as long as we know that you're the one walking beside us on the journey. I pray that every day we would make the choices that lead us to greater faith and that honor you. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Each week we offer people a choice. A choice whether or not today is the day that you say yes to Jesus. Whether today is the day that you say, I want to put my faith and trust in him. And I want Jesus to be my Lord and Savior. If you've never made that choice, today could be that day. I pray that you will allow the Spirit of God to move within you to, to give you the, the understanding of Christ, who he is. You don't have to know all about him. You really only need to know one thing. He loves you. And he demonstrated that love by dying for you on the cross. We're going to stand in a moment and sing a hymn of invitation. And if you are ready to receive Christ, I invite you to come. Let me pray with you. Let me lead you in a confession of faith, accepting Christ as your Savior. We'll arrange for your baptism. And you can start that journey of faith as a Christian.
Let's stand together. Number 647, verses 1 and 4. Wow. 